All right, if you got your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 7, verses 11 through 24. We will finish up uh, chapter 7 today, verses 11 through 24. And the title of our lesson is The Flood Part 2. So we will finish up today talking about um, the flood. Now, this, is, this really brings us, next week we'll turn to the aftermath of the flood. Um, this kind of brings us to the end of, of today, will kind of bring us to the end of all the science uh, kind of part of this. So we're going to spend uh, one more day talking about some of this stuff, <clears throat> one more lesson. And there's something that I've brought up, over, ever since we started chapter one, I've brought up something called uniformity. And um, we've talked about it a few times, and I just want to explain it one more time because it really does set, it's the main thing that sets science against uh, Christianity and, and how the two view uh, the evidence. So I want to talk a little bit about We live in a world where if you go out and uh, you do any kind of study on geology and how rocks are formed and, and things like the Grand Canyon, and you look at those kind of things, what you'll find is we live in a world where the flood, the Bible, has been completely uh, dismissed. And it's re been replaced with a new belief system, uh, and it's called uniformity. And this thing called uniformity is the underlying principle behind all of the study of, of geology. Uh, now, what this, this it's a theory, and this is what it says. It says this. It's a theory that says all the changes in the Earth's crust, okay? Anything you see, mountains, things like the Grand Canyon, anything, like, anything that they see, basically what they'll say, it has resulted from the actions of continuous processes that are still in, the act, in action today, okay? In other words... What they say is the present is the key to the past. All right, that's, that's something you'll see when you if you look at geology or study geology. You'll see it over and over and over and over again. The present is the key to the past. In other words, another way to state this is this. The same things that go on today that you see on the news, things like earthquakes, things like uh, uh, tidal waves, things like volcanoes, those things have always been in action for literally millions and millions and millions of years, okay? Just like they are today. Everybody with me? Not, it, it's the same things you see today have always been, and they are sufficient to explain everything you see in geology. So they can explain the Grand Canyon, they explain Mount Everest, they explain the sinkhole in your backyard, they explain everything, okay? So that's what they say. Is it, the, the same things you see today, flooding, erosion, storms, volcanoes, earthquakes, that's, they've always been in play for, go back as far as you can. This is called uniformity, okay? Now, they are convinced that because these processes are so slow, uh, and we know what that means, right? I, I was telling somebody the other day, I was out on Piney Island uh, a few weeks ago, and years ago, I remember cutting around behind Piney Island, and there was a, a cove, and it was just a little cove, and and then the more you'd come by it, every time I'd come by it, the next year and the next year, it would push a little further in and a little further in. And I hadn't been out there in a while, and a few weeks ago I, I went out there, and it had cut all the way through the island and made a creek. Well, we understand that, right? It's just slow process, erosion, 
flooding over time, it changes our landscape. Well, they think this is exactly what's happened to our world today. That can explain the Grand Canyon. That can explain everything in the world. And this is called uniformity. Everything has just been uniform. Nothing, no, you don't really need any great disasters or anything like that. It's just these uniform processes year after year after year for millions of years. And this is taught as gospel in all the textbooks. It is taught as absolute gospel in the textbooks. I'm going to give you one quote from a textbook. It is the triumph of geology as a science to have demonstrated that we do not need to refer to vast, unknown, and terrible causes to explain the features of the earth, but that the known agencies at work today are competent to produce them provided they have enough time. Everybody see that? Basically what he's saying, you don't need a flood. Everything can be produced by just normal stuff as long as you have millions of years or billions of years even. Okay, So that's what's being taught in our textbooks today. Now, I cannot overstate how important this thing called uniformity is to geology. Uh, W.D. Thornberry, who's a well-known geologist, said this, this is the great underlying principle of geology. Without it, there could not even be a science of geology. So everybody with me? Because this is really important, because if you understand how they say, well, that's millions of years old. I mean, because they believe in, I mean, that's, the, that's their only explanation for how these things could have formed, and it's called uniformity, okay? Now, everything they believe, everything they postulate, everything they theorize is based on this theory of uniformity. Therefore, if you bring them any evidence for a flood, and I mean any evidence at all, they will immediately discount it. They won't even consider the flood. It's ruled out all based on a preconceived idea that the world is billions and billions of years old. Everybody with me? So, so if, if you are a geologist, in fact, it is very hard to find even one or two geologists that are, that are Christians that will say there's a flood. Because if they even mention it, they are immediately, they're just uh, called idiots and dumb and stupid and non-science. I mean, they are just, the whole scientific community just comes down on them uh, full force. So it's very hard to find these guys anymore. And it's all based... On, again, on a preconceived idea. Now, you may say, well, that's not how science is supposed to work, right? You're not supposed to go into it with a preconceived idea, but that's exactly how science works today. They will not even consider uh, another alternative to explain the evidence. So I say that because if you go to a science book or a science website, you're not going to hear any of the things I'm going to tell you today. <clears throat> you won't even hear them. Okay, so that's, that, you know, it's not like I'm making stuff up, but they just completely discount the uh, evidence. Now, here's the, here's the really interesting thing to me. Up until the year 1800, so just over 200 years ago, up until the year 1800, the flood was just considered a given. Not only in the church, but even in the scientific community. In the 1700s, the 1600s, if they, they would have looked at the Grand Canyon and said, yeah, see how the flood laid down these different strata? I mean, it was just a given. Scientists just, everybody assumed the flood was, uh, was a fact, okay? And so um, uh, it, it was seen as the cause of all these different geological changes and stuff in, in the world. <clears throat> now, here's the interesting thing to me. Let's, let's go back in time to, say, around 1800. 
and everybody believes in the flood. If you would have picked up a, a, a geology textbook, it would have talked about the flood. I mean, that's how widespread it was. But in 1800, there was a prophecy that in the Bible that said something was going to change. And we've read this verse over and over again, but I want you to go back to 1800 and read it with me. So think about, you're in 1800, you've just studied geology in school, and it said there was a flood. And that's how everything changed. And then you go home and you read this in your Bible, 2 Peter 3, 3 through 6. Peter says this, Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's uniformity, guys. That's what people say. It's always been the same. Nothing's ever changed. Peter goes on to say this, They deliberately overlook the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. In 1800, if you'd have read that, it would have made no sense to you. Everybody with me? It would have made no... That you'd have thought, well, nobody says that. Nobody's scoffing and saying that the flood doesn't exist and the, and the world wasn't covered with water. Nobody says that. That would have, that would have been a future prophecy. But you see, here we are, again, the theory of uniformity before that year 1800 wouldn't have made any sense. In fact, that theory didn't even exist. So we have seen the fulfillment of that prophecy in the last 200 years. Everybody with me? Which means, according to Peter, we are in the last days. In the last days, those guys are going to come. So before 1800, you'd have looked at that and said, well, I, that, doesn't, that makes no sense to me at all. But it makes perfect sense to us, which tells me that we are absolutely another sign that we are living in the last days. All right, I want to turn and look at some evidence for the flood. <clears throat> I believe, as I said, I believe the flood's a real event. I believe it first and foremost because this book says it. That's why I believe it, okay? Now, but if it's a real event, then there's got to be evidence for it. I mean, if it really happened, there should be good evidence for it. But you're not going to find it in any, any textbook because they don't think it really happened. And any evidence that's there, <clears throat> they'll just discount it. So I'm going to show you today some evidence for the flood in some different areas. Again, I said last week, this is our belief system is based on the Word of God. In other words, we believe the flood is a historical event first and foremost because the Bible says it is. That's why we believe it, not because I can dig in the ground and... and Found, you know, it's not, you're not going to dig in the ground and find a note left by Noah. You're not going to see something that says Noah was here, right? Guys, you better believe the flood. You're not going to find that kind of stuff. Okay? Um, again, we believe it because the Bible teaches it to be so. Yet the fact is, it, it, it would be an epic global event. Do we agree? It's not like maybe there was a... You know, like, like somebody built a city and that city's been destroyed 2,000 years ago and... We'd have to dig, you know, it's not like just a city. We're talking about a global event. So if this happened, and we believe it did, then the evidence for it should be everywhere, okay? And if we use the Bible as our guidebook, there's certain evidence we would expect to, to find. So let's, let's talk a little bit about this. The first evidence we see is with regard to volcanic and seismic or tectonic upheavals, and we're talking about... Uh, earthquakes here. Let's read verses 11 through 12. It says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, 
on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And we talked about this last week. There were two sources of water in the flood. Of course, rain came down out of the atmosphere, but the Bible says that the, that the, the uh, fountains of the deep, and basically, there were, there's water, by, we showed this last week, even scientists agree today, there are oceans and oceans of water in, under the earth, down inside the crust. The, so, so you had these volcanoes, you had these earthquakes that allowed that water to escape. The oceans uh, would have risen, the steam from the volcanoes would have went into the air and created torrential, combining, uh, combining with the cooler air, uh, heated water would have just created torrential rains. I mean, it all the science all fits with, with, with big earthquakes and volcanoes, right? So again, you've got volcanic activity, you've got seismic activity. Is that supported by the Earth's geology? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Um, if you go, and, and again, I'm, just from science books, if you go and look, and scientists can go out and test the Earth's crust and see what it's made of. It is, you will find that it is covered with material ejected from volcanoes. One, one guy said this, During past geologic ages, lava flowed much more frequently than now. It not only spouted from craters, but pushed upwards from cracks in the Earth's crust. Yeah, that's exactly what the Bible says. The fountains of the deep were, were broken up. Oozing lava built great plateaus, which now cover more than 200,000 square miles in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and California. India's famous Deccan Plateau has molten, now listen to this, has molten rock lava, which extends two miles below the surface. Argentina, South Africa, and Brazil have similar plateaus. The, the amount of lava that they find is, is unbelievable. I mean, you're talking about, in some places, lava fields a mile thick. Can you imagine? Not, you know, you, you watch that on TV of, of Hawaii, and you see that taking a house. Think about it taking a, over a whole country. That's the kind of thing that they find, 200,000 square miles of lava. Can you imagine what kind of activity would have created that? Um, but you see, here's the thing. Uniformity cannot explain that. In fact, we know today there are basically about 500 volcanoes in the world. There's about 1,500 extinct volcanoes. So altogether, there, in, the, in the whole world, there's probably 2, 000, uh, uh, about 2,000 volcanoes. And, and even if you took every one of those and made them active today, it wouldn't even come close, not even close, to putting out the amount of lava that we see on the earth. So where did it come from? Are you with me? See, the scientist says, well, it's always uniformity explains everything, but it can't explain that. There's not enough volcanoes in the world to explain the amount of lava. See, what it tells us, again, we say it over and over, the world before the flood was different than the world after the flood. Just because there's only 500 active or 2,000 volcanoes today doesn't mean that's the way it was before the flood because everything changed. In the same vein, it is very common knowledge in the scientific community that if you go look at the rock formations of the earth, there is profound activity uh, or profound evidence of seismic activity or, or earthquakes. In fact, it's really interesting. Um, I never understood this, so I started studying. 
but almost all of the earth's strata. And when I talk about strata, I'm talking about layers. Everybody with me? Layers of rock. It almost all of it shows, shows evidence of being tilted. Some of them even fold back on themselves. It is unbelievable. Think about rock, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Think about a rock that goes under such pressure that it literally folds over on itself. That's the kind of activity that they see. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable how widespread this is. Uh, R.F. Flint, in his book, Glacial Geology, said this, In North America, movements involving elevations, now listen to this, of thousands of feet have been recorded in Alaska and California. What he's saying is they have literally show Earth being moved thousands of feet up. Not 20 feet, not 50 feet, thousands of feet. Okay? The Scandinavian mountains were uplifted. The Alps, listen to this, the Alps were uplifted. In Peru, the Andes Mountains rose at least 5,000 feet. Now think about that. They're saying the Andes Mountains, they've got evidence. They've got a rock layer down here, and they find the same rock layer at the top of the mountain. They can tell that mountain went up 5,000 feet. Everybody with me? That, that's unbelievable. Now, there's two things I want to show you about that. Again, there's just evidence for this kind of stuff all over the place. I mean, a mountain moving a mile into the sky. Now, let me ask you, do we see anything like that today? Anybody? Are we seeing mountains lifted 1,000 feet in the sky? No. You can find the worst earthquake in the world in Nepal or Haiti. Or, or the, and they're bad earthquakes, but they're not lifting, they're not lifting land 1,000 feet into the sky and creating mountains, are they? See, uniformity cannot explain that. By the way, listen, to, this is Psalms 104, 6 through 9. We've read this. I want, to, I want to read it again. It says, You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took the flight. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place you had appointed for them. You see, when God, when he built this earth, it says he, the mountains rose. That's exactly what they find when they look at the evidence. Mountains lifted up over a mile in the sky. I mean, there was huge uh, tectonic activity at some point in the, fast, in the past, and the uniformity day cannot explain that. Another evidence they find is enlarged ocean basins. Have you ever asked yourself this question, where did all the water go? Where did all the water go? Did you know this? I was talking to Kathy about this this week. Did you know this? Okay, you ready? You, I think you'll like this one. The water on our planet remains essentially constant. In, in other words, water changes phase. It can go from liquid to uh, ice to vapor, but water never disappears. It remains constant. In other words, the water in your glass this morning was the same water that would have been on this planet at, when Noah was here. It never leaves. It just changes state. It changes locations, right? It might evaporate. You, you, you have a lake here. It evaporates. It goes up in the sky. You have a drought. That water rains over there. It goes somewhere else, but it never, it, it remains basically constant. It never changes. Did you guys know that? So you hear this thing about waste water. You can't really waste water, right? It, it'll go back in the ground. It may go somewhere else, but you, it doesn't disappear, it just kind of changes state or changes lo location. So all the water that was on our planet that covered the mountains had to go somewhere. It didn't disappear. So where did all the water go? Well, whatever you, know, you decide was the source of the rain, 
What we do know is the water didn't go back in the atmosphere because we've talked about this. There's not enough, if all the water in the atmosphere today came out, it would only cover our planet up to about six inches. Okay, so, that, so the water that was on the planet at that time didn't go back to the atmosphere because it's not there today. So the only place it, it had to go into the oceans. Okay, so if it went into the oceans, that implies the oceans today much, have to be way deeper than they were back then, right? There has to be a lot more water. So do we find evidence for that? Absolutely we do. Um, we, I'll give you a few or a couple things. Sunken islands. They are continually discovering islands out in the Atlantic and out in the Pacific, which they call drowned islands. And these are islands that were at one time above water. For example, in 2001, scientists discovered two huge islands. And, and when I say huge, they're the size of Scotland. So we're not talking about a little mini thing. We're talking about an island the size of Scotland in the Indian Ocean west of Australia. They discovered two of them. Um, Dr. Joanne Whitaker, University of Sydney, said this, The sunken islands charted during this expedition have flat tops, which indicates they were once at sea level before being submerged. Yet today, they are a mile underwater. Not 50 feet underwater, not, you know, a thousand feet, a mile underwater. And at one time, they were above. And that's evidence for scientists that the, the oceans have a lot more water in them today than they did at, at one time. I'll give you another evidence, submerged canyons. In the oceans of the world, and y'all have probably read this kind of stuff, there are these huge canyons, like the Grand Canyon, at the bottom of the ocean, right? And usually they come, if, if you find like a river valley, not, Oclotney River is not really a, a good example of this, but if you go to the mouth of a river, that's normally where you find these canyons, okay? Um, and in fact, everything about them, when you look at them, if you removed all the water, and you just looked at the canyon, everything about them says they were formed on land. In fact, scientists are, they are completely stumped with these canyons. They have no theory, no idea how these canyons form because they look like they were formed on land, yet some of these things are, are three miles below the top of the water, and they can't figure it out because they think, well, maybe the currents of the water under, but it just, it, every theory they come up with just falls down. One of the best known uh, is a canyon extending out of the Hudson River in New York. And that canyon extends down 15,000 feet. And, but if you map it and look at it, it looks exactly like the Grand Canyon or something that was formed on, on land. Um, and, 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 and in fact, if the ocean, if it was dry land and then that was covered with water, that would explain it, right? That it was formed on land, it was formed... Uh, but yet it was covered with water. So again, these are the types of things the flood uh, validates, and it's, the flood is a perfect evidence for, but scientists cannot. And again, I said before, nine, scientists try numerous theories uh, to discount this. Kenneth Landis, in his book, Illogical Geology, and by the way, he's not a Christian, he said this, Can we, as seekers after the truth, shut our eyes any longer to the obvious fact that large areas of the seafloor have sunk vertical distance measured in miles. And he's not even a Christian. He's just saying, guys, open your eyes. Open your eyes. This, these oceans, some of these things used to be above. They have not, not only have they sunk down, and by the way, isn't that what the Bible said? The valley sank to the place you had appointed for them, and the water just filled back in. And, and what was on dry land is now covered one mile underwater, three miles 
underwater. I mean, and he just says it's obvious. Open your eyes. And as I said, he's not even a Christian. Fossilization. This is one that I think is really interesting. Let's read verses Genesis 7, 19 through 20. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubics or, or roughly over 20 feet uh, deep. Remember, what do scientists believe? They believe in uniformity, right? Now, do you know today that fossilization... Everybody know what fossilization is. Fossilization is when an animal gets buried very quickly or frozen very quickly so that no bacteria or anything sets in and it preserves them, right? That hardly ever happens today, okay? Now, it may happen once in a while. You know, a, an animal may fall in a crevice, um, you know, or something, or get buried by a landslide. So it may happen from time to time. But it does not happen on the scale that it has happened uh, in the past. Um, yet according to the Bible, all the animals on the earth would have died, and they would have died very quickly, okay? I mean, that's what the Bible says. Everything that had the breath of life died. I mean, you're talking about billions of animals would have died, and they would have died very quickly. So... If the flood is true, we would expect to find fossil deposits uh, really containing billions of dead animals and plants buried in rock layers around the world. And wouldn't you know it? That's exactly what you find. That's exactly what you find. On every single continent, just not, not just America, but on every continent, we find animals buried in rock, fossilized, and, and by the way, way above sea level. Not just down, you know, not just down close to sea level, but far above sea level. For example, most of the rock layers in the Grand Canyon contain marine fossils, and they are 7,000 over a mile above sea level. And they all, they all have these marine fossils in them. Uh, within the red wall limestone of the Grand Canyon, there's a one formation of these things called nautiloids, and they're like a... There's some kind of weird animal. They're, they're extinct today. But it contains, now listen to this, not one, not a hundred, billions. In, with a B. Not even millions, but billions of them were buried, and they were buried like that. Now how do you, you, know, how do you explain that? Um, that particular graveyard around the Grand Canyon stretches for 180 miles across northern Arizona, They've got one graveyard, they, they call it a fossil graveyard. It covers 10,000 square miles. 10,000 square miles. Now, they've, scientists have calculated this. To, 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 to bury all them animals and to bury them that quickly would require 24 cubic miles of lime, sand, and silt move, kind of moving in this soup-like slurry at more than 16 feet per second. In other words, they, they can't even, they can't outrun it. And it just buries them, and it buries them just like that. Um, something called ammonites, fossilized ammonites, are found in limestone beds in the Himalayas. That's an example of one of them. It's a, it's a sea creature, a little sea creature, kind of, again, I don't know what, you call, what it looks like, but they're extinct today. But it's 30,000 feet above sea level. That's six miles above sea level. And they find these marine creatures embedded in the rock. Well, how did they, how did they get there, right? Um, so how do these limestone beds 
get to be so high up in the Himalayas? Well, there's only one possible explanation of that, is that is one, at some point, waters covered those mountains. That's the only explanation, okay? And even scientists would agree that, to that. They can't explain necessarily how, but they can say they know they were buried by water. Genesis 7, 21 and 22, And all the flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. That's what the Bible says. Countless billions of plant and animal fossils are found in these graveyards where they had to be buried on a massive scale. Here's the interesting thing about it. You know, we see these things and it looks like bones, but the detail uh, of the creatures that are preserved is unbelievable. One of the most remarkable is an example in a graveyard in Germany. Uh, they found more than 6,000 vertebrate animals. Now, vertebrate means animals with backbone. So we're not talking about clams or mollusks or oysters or things like that. We're talking about animals with backbones. They found over 6,000 animals with backbones, including, uh, in, in other words, in addition to that, insects, mollusks, and plants. And the detail that they found is incredible. Uh, N.O. Newell, in his Journal of Paleontology, said this, well-preserved bits of hair, Feathers and scales were recovered. The stomach contents of beetles, amphibia, fishes, birds, and mammals provided direct evidence of their eating habits. Bacteria was found in the excrement of crocodiles. Fungi was still found on the leaves. I mean, it's unbelievable. <coughs> so we're not talking about animals that got buried, you know, slowly. I mean, they had to be buried just like that. And, I, and not just a few, billions of them. Um, it's, again... Are we seeing, I'll ask the question, or do we see anything like that today? Not even close. You, you cannot explain that with, with uniformity. It is obvious to anybody that looks at it that they were rapidly buried on a huge scale. And, and as amazing as that, those things I just told you are, they're not rare. This is really, when you study this, this is the amazing thing. There's a formation called the Karoo Formation in South Africa. Listen to this. It is estimated that there are 800,000 million, 800,000 million skeletons of vertebrate animals buried there. They are, the, the deposits are so immense that they've been collecting fossils for decades, and you can go there and there's bones still sticking out of the ground. 800,000 million animals buried in just that one formation that covers several thousand square it's unbelievable what, what's out there. The one about we might know is anybody ever been to the La Brea tar pits in L.A.? If you've been there, that has yielded literally tens of thousands of specimens over the years. By the way, if uniformitarium is true, they just fell in it one by one. You know, they just wander around. Hey, I wonder what that is, and they just fall in, right? No, they're all. it's obvious that they were all buried uh, at the same time by some kind of huge uh, event. Dinosaur beds, if you go out to Montana, <coughs> Wyoming out in there, uh, the, I mean, I'm talking about huge dinosaur beds covering thousands of square miles. You find them in, in Montana, Alberta, the Dakotas, Colorado, Utah, Africa, Europe, China. They're all over the place. And they contain literally millions of dinosaur fo fossils just piled together in, in, these, huge, in these huge heaps. In one place in, on called Egg Mountain in Montana, 10,000 
hadrosaurs. That's a, that's a hadrosaur. 10,000 of them were all buried at the same time. 10,000, not one or two. 10,000, including all the age groups, so it was young and old, all their eggs, they were just all jumbled together in this mass, in this mass death. I mean, 10,000 of them, that just amazes me. In Sicily, now listen to this, in Italy, and you want to know why uniformity is so wrong. Think about this. <coughs> if I say to you today, where do you find hippos? I don't think Italy comes to mind. Anybody? But in Italy, uh, 4,000 feet above sea level on Mount Etna, there are two cra- caves <coughs> Excuse me, crammed with the bones of thousands of hippos. That's just amazing to me. In Italy, you find, we talked about this before the flood. The climate was different. Animals existed in different places. And evidently, <coughs> these hippos went into the, uh, these caves to try, to try to get away from the... I don't know what they were doing. Um, but they're buried in these water sediments. Uh, thousands of them in these caves. Florissant, Colorado. There's a graveyard there where you find this huge variety of insects... Uh, freshwater mollusks, fish, birds. So, by the way, fish, this is an odd thing, right? Think about that. What is a fish? What are all these, these marine animals? Well, that just shows us that even in places there was so much sediment flowing so quickly into the water that it literally buried fish. I mean, think about it. You shouldn't find a fish, because if a fish dies today, if he's, if he's, I mean, within seconds, something's going to be there eating him. Right? I mean, we all see that. We live around the water. But these fish died so quickly that they still get their, find their scales. They can find their stomach contents. That just shows the amount of material uh, that were flowing. They find all kind of plant species with the, with the, some of them still blossoming. They still have the blossoms on them where they hadn't actually turned into fruits or, or nuts yet. Everything just buried together. Uh, Mont Salou means France. Hundreds of thousands of marine creatures were buried with amphibians, spiders, scorpions, millipedes, insects, and reptiles, all in the same fossil graveyard. Again, science, how do you explain that, right? Uh, Green River Formation, Wyoming. We've talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, In Wyoming, they found alligators. Hippos in Italy. Alligators and palm fronds in in Wyoming. Along with them, they found sunfish, deep sea bass, chubs, pickerel, herring, gar, birds, turtles, mammals, mollusks, crustaceans, all buried together in these, uh, in these huge graveyards in, in Wyoming. And again, I want you to notice something. Notice how marine animals and land animals are all buried together. Okay, Again, the only way this could have happened is if some kind of just the water rose so quickly and so fast that they're just all getting mixed together and getting buried together in some kind of catastrophic uh, flood. One of the things you see us raise sometimes, it's called the buffalo question. And if you can ask yourself, have we ever seen, on, in our, not necessarily in our lifetime, but in, in known history, have we ever seen a, a mass extinction of animals? Well, we've almost seen one, and that's buffalo. I mean, years ago, uh, before we went out west, there was literally millions of buffalo right, out on the plains, and we, you've read books and stuff about this, and they're all slaughtered, they're slaughtered for meat, slaughtered for their hides, but if we go out west today, do we find huge graveyards of buffalo bones? No, you don't find, you don't find any at all. Why? Well, because when they died, you know, they lay there and their, their, their remains are disposed of by scavengers and bacteria and, and all of those kind of things. 
Um, so we don't find those kind of things. So why do we find all these animals entombed in these graveyards? Because they had to be buried like that. I mean, it had to be almost instantaneous in some kind of huge mass death, which, by the way, is exactly what the Bible says happened. Everything on earth that had the breath of life died. Here's an interesting one, and I've got to go quickly, is coal. Does anybody know where coal comes from? Anybody? Well, West Virginia, yeah. Well, I didn't mean it that way. Coal, coal is formed from organic material or living material. So if you take plants, a bunch of plants and stuff, and you put them under tremendous pressure, eventually when they, they, uh, they it will actually turn uh, the carbon that's uh, contained inside of, and I don't know all the science, but basically it comes from a whole lot of plant material. Everybody with me? Now let's just make it real simple. Coal comes from plant material. Coal has been found in all parts of the geologic column and in all parts of the world. Now this is interesting. Many, they have found coal seams, a seam of coal, 30 to 40 feet thick, okay? And scientists will tell you to produce a coal seam of 30 feet, you need 300 feet of plant material. 330 stories of plant material that would eventually be compressed down to a 30-foot coal seam. That's what that's telling us is that 300 feet of plant material would have to be buried and put under pressure to perform or, or to eventually turn into coal. Is there anything like that taking place today? No, obviously not. We don't seem anything like that, but a global flood washing away huge forest and all of this vegetation and all would have produced, that is the only explanation to have been able to produce enough buried plant material to produce coal. Sedimentation, I, I want to talk about this. Um, I've got a picture there of the, of the Grand Canyon. Uh, sedimentation is when material is carried by water and then deposited. Eventually, so if you go out to the mouth of the Oclotney, you got all this water being carried out the Oclotney, but when it hits the Gulf of Mexico, it settles. That's called sedimentation, right? So especially out here, if you go out around our Gulf, you know, you get a lot of flats and stuff. We've got a lot of sedimentation where it doesn't get very deep uh, very quickly. So you see this, you know, all over the world. And we do see sedimentation today. One of the best examples of it, of course, is the Grand Canyon. In the Grand Canyon, I put a picture up. You see sedimentation that does things like this, right? It, it bends, it folds, um, and it, one of the things that's really interesting is if you go look at that, what you see in red, that's a rock. Everybody with me? Well, you see things, if a rock, I don't know if anybody's ever, have you ever tried to take a rock and turn it? Doesn't happen very easily, right? In fact, you can't bend a rock without fracturing it or breaking it. But what they see in the Grand Canyon is they see these rock layers that are sometimes turned even 90 degrees without bending. Now, you cannot do that to rock. So what that tells us, the only, that had to happen when it was still soft and pliable. Everybody with me? It, when it was still like a clay material, it can be bent, and over time it hardens into rock. So what you see there is exactly what a flood would do. It's exactly what a, a flood would, would do, and we see this in the Grand Canyon. This is interesting, too. Geologists have traced some of the sand and limestone at the Grand Canyon to rock sources. In other words, I don't know how they do this, but some of the sand and limestone in Grand Canyon came from the Appalachian Mountains. 
I don't know how they know that. But it was carried as far away from the Appalachian Mountain, over a thousand miles. Now, how do you get sediment and carry it over a thousand miles and deposit it in the Grand Canyon? Well, there's only one thing that'll do that, and that is a whole lot of water. Only a worldwide flood could do something like that. They, they, they can trace some of the same layers. In other words, if you look at a layer at the Grand Canyon, and, and it's a, you know, made out of a certain material, they can trace that into North America. They can even trace it over into Europe and even into the Middle East. Again, only a worldwide flood could lay down these materials um, across these vast distances. Um, one of the things that's really interesting about the Grand Canyon, and I, and I don't, again, I encourage you, if you're interested in this stuff, go read it, because I have the time I can't explain it. But one thing about the Grand Canyon you'll see is they say these layers were laid down over a million years. But when you see them, they're almost perfect. I mean, it's almost like somebody just baked a cake and laid these down. And anybody will tell you that a flood will do that. But not, in other words, they don't see any signs of erosion sometimes between these two. Well, how, do you, how does that happen if it happened over a million of years? It can't. Um, and what it tells us is that they were deposited so quickly that they didn't have time to erode. All right, real quick, conclusion. I took the time today to show you a few things about evidence for the flood. Um, because one thing, you're not going to read them in, in textbooks. But I will tell you this, if you go to any modern website, you go to any textbook, they'll, say, they'll find the same things I showed you, and they'll say, oh, well, this is all, they'll come up with an explanation, okay? And, and they'll, they'll, they'll say it was caused by uniformity. Even though, I don't understand it, even though we're not seeing anything like that today, they still say it, it could have happened in the future. My point is, scientists can explain all this away if they want to. Listen, this is what it all comes down to for me. Jesus Christ, who is the truth, according to the word of God, he cannot lie. He said this, during the days of Noah, Noah entered the ark and the flood came and it took them all away. He said those are real events that really happened. Now, I don't know about you, but his word is good enough for me. I don't know about you, but his word is good enough for me. I believe what he told, he's always been trustworthy. He's never let me down. I believe what he says. So I choose to believe him rather than some ignorant scientist trying to look back millions of years. They don't know what happened back then. They're just coming up with theories and theories and theories and trying to explain it, all the while dismissing God. I choose to believe Jesus Christ. I hope you do too, right? I mean, again, you, you can go get the evidence and, I, and the Christian scientists will explain it one way and atheistic science, and, and you'll, you know, you'll almost go crazy. And I just go back, like I said to somebody the other day, listen, if God can raise somebody from the dead, he can flood the world. He can do whatever he wants to do. That's, that's enough for, for me. But we wouldn't, should not be surprised. When Jesus said the flood was real, we shouldn't be surprised that we go out and dig up some rocks and it actually verifies or validates what Jesus said, which is exactly what I think we find. Next week, we turn to uh, chapter 8, and we begin to look at the aftermath of the flood. We'll be covering uh, Genesis 8, 1 through 22. Let's pray. Father,